what I just heard? 85%. You know what the national average is for a rehab program in America? 3%. What's the difference between 3% and 85%? And don't say 82%. It's Jesus. It's, it's having, when I was an alcoholic, what I was looking for at the bottom of the bottle um, and never found until you found another bottle, another bottle, maybe the next one, maybe the next one, I get hammered and go, I don't want to be drunk. I, I feel terrible. I can't wait to get sober. And then I get sober, and the next night, guess what I do? Back again, looking for something at the bottom of that bottle. I think it was Spurgeon that said, the, the man that walks into a brothel, which is a, a house of prostitution in Great Britain, the man who walks into a brothel is actually looking for God. He just doesn't know it. And, and when people find Jesus, so many things get broken off their life. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Thanks, guys, for helping my friend Phil. Thank you for supporting people that 85. Now, not everybody finishes a year. Some people don't finish 24 hours. But those who finish that year, 85%, never go back to drugs or alcohol again. It's awesome. So real quick, guys, next week we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to start putting these principles of prayer together. I've been teaching for nine weeks now on prayer. And we're going to start putting them together into some practical ways. I told you we're going to teach on prayer, but then we're going to have to actually activate prayer in our own lives, corporately, and in other ways. So next week we're talking about spiritual warfare and uh, really what that means. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase spiritual warfare? How many of you guys think you know what that phrase means? I mean, there's, I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's screaming really loud in tongues. Well, no, it's, it's binding and loosing. Well, no, it talks about the blood of Jesus. Uh, well, it's really scary. I don't want to talk about it. My kid's going to be coming next week. You have to talk about demons. So we're going to talk about that next week. Spiritual warfare, but I think I found some really uh, um, easily understood, easily discerned practices for us to engage the spiritual realm in prayer. And then two weeks from uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about laboring in prayer until there's breakthrough. You ever been around somebody that's been around for a long time in the church? They, they say things like, we prayed until, you know, God just told us that our prayer was answered, that we got up. Like, how do you know when God's answered your prayer? How do you know when you should continue to knock on the door? How do you know when, when there's been a breakthrough? So we're going to talk about that two weeks from the night, and I think it's going to be good stuff. So today, um, uh, I want you to know we're going to be summing up the teaching on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to continue teaching on prayer, but the Lord's Prayer, we're going to be summing up that teaching tonight. And, and this is so important that the, the nursery ministry, the children's ministry, the three, four, and five-year-old ministry, the elementary ministry, the, the, the youth ministry, junior high, senior high, the young adult, every ministry we have is focusing right here. How many of you guys know that the church knows how to pray good stuff happens? And the church doesn't know how to pray. They take all that energy and they usually put it into other things that don't produce anything more than what the world's already producing, like carbon dioxide. So let's continue. So um, this, this today, we're going to be talking about something up the teaching. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, get out your electronic medium. Let's talk about that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, the final line. And I, some people say, is that the final line we're supposed to see? Um, Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And amen. I have no problem with that. And that's certainly, if you're raised Catholic, that's the way you're taught to pray. Um, I, it's more of a doxology if it existed at all. There is some controversy because it doesn't exist in the earliest manuscripts. It comes in later on. And it's not like I forbid teaching on that because it's not that at all. I just think that for what we're talking about, it's a doxology. So how many of you guys know when you're done praying, you should tell God he's awesome? But you don't need that teaching. That was underwhelming. Thank you so much for that. That was good. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Here we go. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, some translations say, or the evil one, some translations say. So let's, let's break it down. Um, we know that God is not one who tempts. God is not tempted, and God does not tempt. So lead us not into temptation. It's almost like saying keep the devil from us. But if you understand the word temptation or tempting here, it has to do with testing. Lead us. We, we really want a life that's quieter. How many of you guys know we want, to, we want a nice, quiet, simple life? We want to work with our hands. We want to build stuff, right? 
We want, we want people to break stuff so we can come in and fix stuff, but we just, we want to mow our grass and watch it grow. We don't, want to, we don't want it to be, you know, napalmed and have to plant everything over again. We want nice, quiet, peaceful lives. Actually, the, the Bible tells us we should pray for our government and our leaders so that we'll have nice, quiet, simple, never mind, leave me alone. It's in the Bible, though, right? So testing, when, when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, it's not like God's going to say, hey, I'm going to lead them and tempt them. God does not tempt. Somebody say Amen. But he does allow testing in our lives because it isn't faith, believe it or not, that really helps us, according to James. It's tested faith. And we know that in the testing of our faith, God develops perseverance, and perseverance has to finish its work so that we can be mature and complete and not like anything. So believing something is the first step in a long process we call tested faith. I read it. I see it. I'm inspired by it. Uh, uh, inspiration becomes application. I'm going to start doing this. Inspiration becomes perspiration. It's, it's tested. Sometimes there's a, there's a death of that promise, it feels like, and then God resurrects by supernatural means this promise, like going back to, you know, Asia or whatever. It seems like it's impossible, but you know God gave you a promise, and so you hold on to that, and you do your thing, right? So tempting. Lead us not into temptation. It isn't necessarily, you know, God's going to put some pretty girl in skimpy clothes walking in front of you. That's, that's not what's being said. God, we, we want to live quiet lives, and if there is a test, we want, we want you to be bigger in us than the test. Does that make sense? This phrase here, but deliver us. The word deliver us, it, it's actually a, a, a water term. It's actually a picture that's painted. It's, it talks about the flow of a river versus the stagnant eddies. You've been down a river, and, and you see like there's these little side areas. They just kind of go in a circle, and that's where all the debris is floating. That's where the muddy water is. That's where it's, it's just shallow and nasty and swampy. You've got a nice river. You've got the Mississippi, but there's eddies on the side of the Mississippi. They just kind of seem to go round and round. This is the picture Jesus is painting. Don't, don't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Lead us not into the temptations, the testings, and don't let us get diverted into just circular, cyclical nonsense. Somebody say amen. We are to pray, God, don't, don't tempt us. Don't allow us to be tested beyond our abilities. And also, don't let us get led into stuff that just doesn't bear fruit but goes in just vain circles. Good thing there's nothing like that going on in our world today. Amen. But deliver us from evil, or the evil one, the evil of the evil one, or the evil one. It, it, the wording's a little, it isn't vague, it's just, it's broad. And so those who translate have to say, are we talking about the devil, or are we talking about his stuff? My theological answer is, yes, we're talking about the devil and his stuff, okay? So what Jesus is doing here is, it seems like it's a summation. Um, I, I'll just be honest with you. I think these lines of teaching on prayer are not introducing a thought that compounds on a thought that compounds on a thought. I really think that Jesus has taught us how not to be led into tests that are bigger than us, how to stay out of the eddies through the teaching that he's already given us. I think this is a, this is a line that helps us put it all together. I think us are old enough to remember the original, in other words, the good karate kid. Not the silly one, but the good one, Mr. Miyagi. Remember that? And, and from memory, we're just going to find out who's over 40. This is the way to do it nowadays, okay? If you're over 40, you know that the very first test, the very first task, rather, that Mr. Miyagi gave to Daniel-san, what was it? Wax on. Wax on. No, no. Big circle. Big circle, right? And the second, the second task that he gave him was what? Paint the fence. Uh, breathe in through the nose. Out the... And the third was what? Sand the floor. Send the floor. And Daniel's getting so frustrated because you're not teaching me karate, whatever that word is, karate, kryptonics. You're, you're not teaching me what you told me you're teaching me. You're actually using me as slave labor. What the heck? 
And Mr. Miyagi goes, defend yourself. I, ah, right? And Daniel, because of all these repetitious movements, suddenly is burying blows and blocking. And he's, what happened was he was learning about how to defend himself the whole time. He just didn't know it. Can I suggest to you that the teaching the Lord has given us in prayer is teaching us how to do the things that we're supposed to do. And when he puts it all together, which we're going to do tonight, he brings it to a place where if we will live the previous teachings of prayer, we will not be led into temptation and will be delivered from evil because his is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does that make sense? So let me show you what I mean by this. He starts the teaching on prayer with our Father. We spent a lot of time talking about this. I won't get deep into this. But understand this. When when the devil is tempting Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, he comes to him and he doesn't want his virginity. He doesn't want his sobriety. He wants his identity. Because if the devil can steal your identity, he can steal everything else he wants. And so he says three times, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, and Jesus says three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. What's happening is this. Satan wants us to lose our identity. If we lose our identity, we lose our authority. If we lose our authority, we lose everything else. We we are bound, and anybody can come in and rob our stuff. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, he's teaching us the position of relationship you have to be rooted in. If this is going to work, you've got to know who he is and who you are to him. So he begins with the statement, our Father in heaven. What's that mean? It means we're no longer orphans. If you want to defeat temptation, know who you are, and the lesser pleasures of an old nature will grow pale and dim compared to the identity that is found in Christ. Does that make any sense to you? Or is that too, does that make sense? I, there was a day when things tempted me differently before Dina. When a covenant relationship that was satisfying, that was fulfilling, that was, that was uh, oh, intoxicating, that was this, this fabulous mystery, like, like anybody can walk by anymore, nobody can turn my head because she's turned my heart. Does that make sense? I know who I am, and I am different because of a covenant relationship with that woman right there. Does that make sense? How much more a covenant relationship with our God that when sin comes by, we go, I'm married. I'm satisfied, I'm happy, I'm content. Yeah, but, but if you are the son of God, if you, why don't you turn this? Why don't you get what you don't have? Why don't you, why don't you use this? Why don't you test it? Why don't you, I don't have to. Why? Because I know who I am in Christ. Does that make sense? I'm growing in this. I hope we all are. But you've got to recognize, guys, that when he starts by saying, our Father, we know whose we are, then we're going to know who we are. One of my favorite illustrations, I forget who said it. Oh, it was uh, Christine Kane. I might have actually mentioned this in a service. I'm preaching four times a week now, so I have no idea what I've said or how I said it to. So if I've said this before, just remember I love you. And if I haven't said that lately, just remember I love you. And just remember I love you, okay? But there's Christine Kane's daughter gets to the swing the same time a little boy does. I, I picture five, six years old. And, and she goes to get on the swing, and, he, and, and she gets on it first, and he's mad at her. So he pulls out his trump cards, right? And he, he says, you're ugly, you're fat, and you're stupid. And what she's supposed to do is believe what he said and go away crying so he gets to swing. You know what she does? She said, my daddy says, I'm pretty, and I'm a princess, and kept swinging. <laughs> Why? Because she believed her father, not the bully. Guys, hear me. When we begin praying, we're not talking to, to him who dwelleth between the cherubim and the seraphim. We're not speaking to unapproachable, unlistening, uncaring, um, nebulous being. Bette Midler was wrong when she said that someone's watching us from a distance. In him we live and we move and we have our being. He's here now. He's in you. He's in me. 
Does that make sense? Our Father in heaven, when we, when we learn, when we know, we embrace whose we are, it changes who we are. And if you want to keep from temptation and be delivered from evil, there is no greater way than to know whose you are and who you are because of that. You are loved by the perfect one, dot, 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 perfectly. Does that make any sense? It's quiet. Is this deep or did I lose you? Help me out. You are loved by the perfect one perfectly. But Jim, I haven't been perfect this week. I got news for you. You weren't perfect the week before either. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because God so loved the world that he gave his son. If God loved you enough to save you before you were born, before you committed sin, how much more is he willing? If, if he who did not spare his own son, how much more will he continue to give us what we need through his son? I, by the way, I've quoted about five verses in the last, I just didn't say it was verses. Hear what I'm saying. God is fully committed to you because he made a decision about you, not because you did something right or did something wrong. Don't you love when Pastor Adam said the other night, I think he said it in this service, he said, if, how, do you, how do you say, I asked him to repeat it actually, and he did it, but it was something along the lines, if, if what I do doesn't change how God feels about me, then what I, what I don't do doesn't change about, I mean, his love for me is unchanging and unfailing. I'm not saying everybody's saved, I'm saying this, the covenant that I have with God is not incumbent upon my ongoing behavior increasing and getting better and, oh, you're on double secret probation. Oh, I'm sorry, you got kicked off the farm. You got kicked off the island. You got... This isn't survivor. He is an adoptive father who, knowing every issue you and I have, said, I want that one right there. Knowing everything we we're going to do, everything it would cost him, he paid it in advance. So what kind of temptation and evil will that keep you from? being perfectly loved by the perfect one perfectly. It's good stuff, right? And it goes on. It says, hallowed be your name. Let me tell you about your father. All creation praises his name. Angels bow. Things that I can't imagine, that Steven Spielberg can't imagine, that George Lucas can't imagine. Beings with eyes all over their bodies and, and, and wings that fly and shout in such a way that it, it makes the ground tremble. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And nobody goes, oh, that's just too much. Come on. I mean, God, who God is, hallowed be his name, right? Your father is worthy of respect. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of honor. And, and he has opened our eyes to this, this encounter that we can have with him on a regular basis where we get to dialogue with who he is. We get to ask him for stuff and talk to him about our day and listen to his voice. We worship from revelation and knowledge and relationship. And I'll tell you this, guys. Be, I said this the right way. I almost said it the wrong way. I'll say it the wrong way, but I'll say it gently so it'll sound like the right way. Is that okay? I, I'll, I'll just try to think about this. But when you elevate God, this is going to sound weird, but just follow me. When you elevate God, you actually are elevating in some ways yourself. Because if he's okay and normal and he accepts you and you're okay and normal, that's one thing. But if he's holy, holy, holy and he's accepted you, it elevates you, not just him. Does that make sense? When we worship the Lord, we're not just saying, God, you're awesome. Understand that as we're worshiping the Lord, we're fulfilling a, a purpose of our life. We're fulfilling a destiny that is eternal. Like there's a lot of things we're never going to do again once this life is over with, but worship's not one of them. We will worship for the rest of time and never exhaust his holiness in doing so. So in elevating God in worship, we're actually like, you're holy and I'm your kid? 
David said, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars you put in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, but you crowned him with glory and honor. And he just stands there in awe like, I can't believe I get to be yours. He's not, he's not just elevating God. He's elevating himself by elevating the God who adopted him. Does this make sense? Are you still here? Good, because we're recording this for Sunday, and I just hate for them to be disappointed. Okay. He goes on. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please look right here, and please hear my heart. What will keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil more than, again, knowing who he is, worshiping who he is, knowing who we are as his kids, but getting to work at the stuff that God made you to do. I, I am so busy sometimes doing the things God created me to do that I don't have time or energy to do the things he didn't create me to do. Like one of the greatest things for me to keep me from temptation is serving the Lord to keep me from, that delivers me from evil, to not go back where I came from, is going forward into the good things God has for me. I, like right now, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking about the Word of God. I'm thinking about you. But I'm not thinking about how to please my flesh. Does that make sense? The same thing is true of you. When you're doing what God made you to do, when a hammer's driving nails, it's not wishing it was a screwdriver. When a screwdriver is driving screws, it's not wishing it was, it was a shovel. When you do what God created you to do, I, I mean, hear me, there is nothing more satisfying to you than being you. Did you hear that? And when you get to be you, and when God uses you as you, not your imitation of somebody else, when God uses you as you, there's just nothing more fun. Paul puts it this way. He says, we're God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works the guy prepared in advance for us to do. And that word workmanship is the, the Greek word poema. Anybody guess the English word we get from the word poema? It's poem. We are a limerick in, in, a, in a massive masterpiece of oratory. The God who created the universe actually made you a line in, in his poem, a line in his song. We are God's workmanship. The greatest place you can be is to be totally satisfied with Christ and totally satisfied doing what he's called you to do. Somebody say amen. Like, like when the worship team leads worship and the guitar works, there's nothing like that for Pastor Kyle. I was worshiping and I opened my eyes and I'm like, what's Jason doing on the stage? Why is Jason touching his butt? I don't know what's going on. And I realized there's something wrong with it or whatever. So let's not count that. But last Thursday night when everything did work, right, there's Pastor Kyle is not a demonstrably happy person. He's not a sad one. He's just, he's just kind of like, hey, I won the lottery. Hey, my dog got killed. It's like, shouldn't that do this a little? Shouldn't there be some change? Yes, I'm, I got, you know, it's wonderful. And then Ashley, Ashley did make the bubble go up, right? But in this, guys, hear me. When he's leading worship, he's a different guy. I'm not saying he's faking it without a guitar in his hand. I'm not saying he's faking it when he is. I'm saying that when he's leading worship, I go, that's why God created that boy right there. It makes sense. The song, you just realize the songs we sang tonight, like some of those, he sat in a room, grabbed a pen or his thumbs. I don't know how you write it, but he began to write those words. That became the music that led us in worship tonight. I can't do that. Anybody else? But I know this. When he does it, he comes alive in a way that he doesn't come alive when he does his taxes. But Jeff Waltz comes alive when he does his taxes. And to put him on a stage talking to people, he'd have diarrhea for a week just thinking that it might happen. What's happening is this. Jeff looks at a long list of small numbers and gets excited because he knows what to do. I look at a world full of sinners that need Jesus. I get excited because I know what to do. He looks at a world that doesn't know how to worship and he writes music because he knows what to do. Huh, let me just ask you, do you know what to do? Have you found it yet? 
And if you haven't found it yet, can I, can I suggest to you that your big idea for tonight should be to get a big idea? Your calling for tonight should be to find your calling. Your anointing for tonight should be to find what God's anointed you to do. Because once you're engaged in that, it will lead you not into temptation. It will deliver you from evil, and you'll understand the power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. And somebody said amen. So Jesus shifts us then from that to daily bread. We have a provider, so we don't have to be afraid. We have a blesser, so we're not orphans. We have all these things. And again, he's coming back to it again and again and again. One of the things that Dina gets to hear more often than probably anybody else, because she's the one up here talking about kingdom builders, speaking about the offering, and she's engaged in the actual distribution of, of the funds under the direction of, you know, the board and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's she gets to hear the story about, I put in, uh, I, had, I had enough money for lunch. I'm making the story up, but tell me if this is an ati- or a typical story, not an atypical, but a typical story. I had $17. It was the money I had for lunch. The offering plate came by. God said, put it in the plate. I had a conversation with God that went something like this. What am I going to have for lunch? Is this a test? Is this why my $17? Why don't you just put it on Mike Miller's heart to put an extra $17 in there and, and take Terry to lunch anyway? Why do I have to, you know, and but eventually when they do it, and then and I'm, I'm making this whole thing up, but I'm telling you this is a typical story. And then later on that day, that week, whatever, there's this check that isn't $17. It's like $117. And it has the same number in it. It's $170. It's, it's $17.17, whatever it is. And it's, it's like God's saying, because you did this out of obedience, I'm blessing you now for your obedience. We get to see that all the time. Daily bread type living. We trust the Lord to provide for us. We trust the Lord when he tells us to provide for others. When we do these things, guys, we are keeping ourselves from temptation and evil. If you let greed get the best of you, and you stop being generous as, as God would tell you to obey in any direction, I promise you, you're giving in the temptation and you're allowing evil through your door. But if you maintain that heart of just, if you give it to me, I'll give it daily bread, but I got enough bread for two days, let me find somebody hungry and give it away. I'm, and, and then this is not financial peace, I'm not Dave Ramsey, I'm simply saying this. All these things, if we obey all these things and we trust the Lord for all these things, can you see how it's gonna deliver us from evil, it's gonna keep us from temptation, Right? We get to hear those stories. It got deep last week. Forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses. Um, all I see is this. I think the Lord wants us to know every day when we pray, there's mercy, there's mercy, there's mercy, there's mercy. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what is he? He's faithful and he's what? He's just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's mercy, there's mercy. Well, I used a lot of mercy yesterday. The Bible says that when the sun comes up in the east, his mercies are brand new every morning. Whatever mercy God has used on the human race that took all these thousands of years to get here, that this morning when the sun came up, he wasn't using what was left over from the thousands of years of the human race. He was using a brand new fresh batch of mercy as if, it, as if no sins were ever forgiven today. We know that. So what that means is we may fail, but we are no longer failures. How many of you guys know that'll keep you from temptation and deliver you from evil? Somebody say amen. We've got this thing where if I do something wrong, for some reason my identity becomes the thing I did wrong. If I, if I uh, gave in to the temptation that we just talked about a moment ago and that skirt that walked by, I walked back after it and, and I cheated on my wife. Now, I'm not saying that's good. I'm saying that's, that's probably the most horrible thing that I could possibly do to her, break her heart, break God's heart. But hear me. How many of you guys know that God's mercy can extend to any sin we commit? You don't want to amend that because you're afraid Dina's going to hurt you. Let me give you another one. I don't, I don't have enough food, so I broke into your house and I stole a loaf of bread. Can we just do that one? Now, it's so unrealistic, I would never break in your house because all of you own guns, so you'd shoot me. But I, but I, would, I would 
wait for, you know, uh, Walmart to deliver it to your doorstep, I'd run up, grab the loaf of bread, and run away. And all you have is a picture of my rear end on your security camera, on your porch, right? But in doing that, I would, I would have sinned against God, true or false. I'd have sinned against you, true or false, right? How many guys know that even though I stole, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just? I'm not saying I go steal the next day, the next day, the next day. I'm saying I did something stupid and horrible and, ah! Oh, I can, for the rest of my life, be a thief, or I can come to a merciful God and ask him to take away my thievery. And I can bring that loaf of bread back. And I can apologize and humble myself and say, I'll never do it again. Somebody say amen. We make the mistake, and this, it's, it's, a, it's a true illustration. If I step on a nail, I say, ow, I stepped on a nail. I don't say, ow, I'm a nail. What I did is not who I am. What I did caused pain, and I reacted to it, and there's a healing process, and there's a tetanus shot, and I asked Jim, it's turning different colors. Is that bad? It's the size of my knee and not my ankle. Is that bad? He goes, you need to get a shot. You need to go, and he talks about cellulitis and all this stuff. Is there a red line running up your leg? And I say, yeah. Okay, that's really bad. Go get help, right? There's, there's consequences to my actions, but I don't become what I did. I don't become a nail. I'm a guy who stepped on a nail. Is this making any sense? So when you commit, when you, just understand this, when you cross that line, God, forgive me my trespasses because there's mercy available for you. I don't want to create this sloppy grace. Well, let's do everything we want because God's merciful. How many guys know that's not going to keep us from evil? But if we understand what Jesus paid so we can come to him forgiveness, that will keep us from evil. It's just too high of a cost, right? Lastly is this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, our debtors, those who trespass against us. I just, guys, look at me. I think last week was one of the most difficult sermons to watch you go through. We, last week's sermon should have been sponsored by Kleenex. But the neat thing that this happened this week is the emails, the text messages, the second person conversations. Hey, I talked to someone that just wanted you to know, hey, I just, listen, how many guys know we can get through this thing without hating anybody? Because of the mercy of God, we can be merciful. I'm telling you this, listen, all, all I do all day long is interact with God and interact with people I, I don't get hurt by God, but I do get hurt by people. And the more people I have in your life, the more tendency there is, and all the opinions and leadership, and all, listen to me. You can get through this without hating anybody. And you can get through this clean because of the abundance of the mercy of God creating a dynamic where there's an abundance of mercy for mankind. I've had no less than five people in the last two days come to me and say, how are you doing this? How are you not so upset? How are you? I, I mean, I just met with a group of pastors in Chicago for the last two days, just, just flew in an hour before service. And the pastors there are saying, well, you know, guys, we're just, we're just getting killed by, by the devil. No, by our people. We're getting killed by our people. No matter what decision we make, everybody's upset and everything's wrong. And, you know, man, I, what's happening in Michigan? I said, well, our, our, you know, our, our governor doesn't allow us to breathe, so it isn't as big of an issue. But I, it's, you know, what about um, if you, that was an anti. <sighs> there, I never said it. It just went away. Went back, right? But guys, the covenant that we're in is not a defensive covenant. We're not trying not to get hurt. We engage with dangerous people that look just like me and just like you every day. Back in the Old Testament, if you touched someone that was unclean, you became unclean because you contacted it. And then Jesus comes along, and instead of Jesus touching a leper and getting leprosy, he touches the leper and the leper is cleansed. That's the covenant we live in. 
The covenant we live in is an offensive covenant, not a defensive covenant. So we're supposed to be touching things that are unclean. We're supposed to be engaging topics, and we're supposed to be discussing with people that are angry, whatever the issue is. Hear me. We are supposed to be the light in the darkness, not the light on the chandelier with the other lights. So I would, but I just got my butt handed to me last time I engaged in it. I get that. So don't do it on social media. Do it over coffee, because people that are brave on social media are actually human beings over coffee. That's one amen. I'll take it. I'll move on. Guys, we're, we're honored to be trusted with one of the greatest responsibilities of having a pure heart before God and men. I mean, that you will never be more like Jesus than when you forgive somebody that doesn't deserve it. We're honored. So back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. If we do all these things, Daniel's son, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hear me. Piano guy, join me. Um, Jesus isn't teaching us in prayer obligatory spiritual disciplines. Please understand, I think there's, there's a value to setting a time and a place regularly for prayer. So I'm not against obligatory spiritual disciplines. But the purpose of prayer isn't that we check that box that we prayed for so many minutes or so many hours or so many prayers or how long the list is. It isn't. And if you find yourself trying to be more and more and more efficient by praying through that list faster or looking at your watch more often or trying to engage it through, like, you know, music or whatever because you couldn't be quiet for two minutes without the music to give you something, so you kind of combine words. About, listen, I, I get all of that. I, I, get all, I, I went through Master's Commission, FCMA. Am I right, Josh? It isn't like, you know, the first time I prayed for an hour, it was glorious. Like the first time I prayed for an hour, I prayed for two minutes, fought for 15 minutes, wrote down a list of things to do, texted my mother, and, and you know what I mean? And then Pastor Jason caught me, took away my phone, and then I prayed the last five minutes. That's usually where the prayer starts. So there's nothing wrong with the discipline, but I want you to hear me. Jesus isn't teaching us obligatory religious disciplines. He's actually teaching us how to win. There is no victory outside of prayer. Name anything that God's ever blessed you with that didn't start either with your prayer or somebody else's prayer. This is it. This is how we win. Next week, we're going to talk about moving mountains, principalities, powers. We're going to about the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. You say, Jim, what does that mean? I come back next week. But we are dealing with first heaven problems from first world positions, and we don't have to. We're seated in Christ in heavenly realms. There's an authority that we have. When we understand these last nine weeks about teaching on prayer and teaching on the heart of God and the fatherness and, and understand the purpose of this whole thing is that not just that we would avoid sin, but that we wouldn't have a test that could overcome us because of the verses that came before that. That we, we'd be delivered from evil because we're, we're delivering ourselves unto the good of God over and over and over again. Then we get to moving mountains. It just becomes a natural fruit of this relationship. So um, remember the first part of driver's ed? How many guys... You remember that? You're in the Model T. Just kidding, but it was, it was funny. I didn't purposely look at Hugh when I said that either. He was just an accident that I happened to come across you when I, when I did that. But, but you remember the, the first, there was two segments. Do they still have that, the two segments? One is about books, and there's a video where people get killed by trains. Remember that one? And you walk home stunned because the first time you ever saw a dead body because they used to not show dead bodies on the news. And I, it was all about how many feet before an intersection should you decelerate? and turn on your turn signal. How many miles per hour in this zone? What is this sign that's yellow or red or has pedestrians or ducks? What, what does that mean? It was all about books. And we learned all about driving. I always remember learning all about driving. And then we got behind the wheel of a car with an extraordinarily nervous person who talked a lot. Actually, my, my driver's ed teacher was Mr. Zach. He was the hockey coach. He put his coffee on the dashboard, lifted up a paper, looked at me and said, don't spill the coffee. 
That was my instruction behind the wheel. Luckily, I was racing the country and I'd driven a lot by the time I got there and I did spill the coffee on his lap because he would have killed me. And, uh, but I, I, there comes a time, what I'm trying to say is this, learning about driving is not driving. Hear me, look at me. Learning about prayer is not praying. We've got to begin to shift what we know into gear where it's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we are. And, I, and my challenge to you tonight is simply this. I've been talking about prayer for, this is my ninth week, but it's the tenth week of the series. Pastor Adam was in there once. Has your prayer life significantly changed in any meaningful way in ten weeks of teaching? Some would say yes, and that was very encouraging. You, like cookies to you all day long, sister. But I would guess that the average person knows more about prayer than they did 10 weeks ago, but that their praying habits, their prayer life, their expansion in the kingdom probably has not grown. And I think this might be why. This not, so shame on you and pray more. It's not the purpose of this. I think we've been learning about the shape of the signs and how many feet before you turn the things on. The next two weeks, at least, if not more, we're going to put it all to work. And we're going to get behind the wheel. Because some of you guys know, and I, I, I know I've said the B word a couple times, but I, you don't drive with your brain. You drive with your butt. Well, especially back in the old days with the stick shifts, you don't look at a tachometer. And once it gets to 4,000, you shift. You feel it. You feel the force of when to put on the brakes. You feel the force. And I don't mean we're supposed to feel the force in a Star Wars way. I just simply mean this. We will not know about prayer until we pray. So we've learned about prayer, inspiration, but now we're going to do some applicational teaching that, that I, I just want to be honest with you. If you don't apply what we're learning, then you will have in some ways wasted a lot of time learning about something, learning about driving and never getting behind the wheel and you're never going to get your license. So would you do this for me? This week, before we challenge everything in this coming week, I want you to really dedicate some time to ask God what's supposed to change in the world around you, maybe the world within you, knowing that God is going to answer the prayers that move those mountains. You're going to pray them, and you're going to pray them according to his will, knowing who he is, knowing who you are, knowing about his kingdom, knowing about his will for his kingdom, knowing about forgiveness, knowing about daily bread, knowing about contentment, all the things we talked about. My hope is all these things come together, and all of a sudden the devil goes, and you're like Daniel's son. It's time to stop waxing the car. It's time to start fighting the devil. It's time to stop painting the fence. It's time to start parrying blows. It is time to stop sanding the floor. It is time to get down on our knees and fight in spiritual warfare. That's next week. So how many of you guys, you'll dedicate some time between now and then to prepare your heart for spiritual warfare. And let me just say one other thing. And, and this, is, this is not by a show of hands, but by, it's by a show of hearts. You're going to make every effort to be as engaged in the next two weeks as you possibly can. If the best you can do is live stream because you're on vacation, then do it. But how many of you know we learn things in seats amongst others in community, in, in groups, and in men's coffee things at 5.30, in talking to our spouses, our families. When you get in the car, if you've got a family and you've got kids, when you get in the car, your kindergartner is going to be talking about the same things we talked about in here. It is time for us to stop sanding the floor and waxing the car and to start engaging spiritual warfare and moving mountains. Somebody say amen. So as we close tonight, let me just say this. If you're here like, hey, teaching on prayer, cool, but I, I didn't come here tonight to learn about prayer. I actually came here tonight because I'm in need. I, I'm not right with God. I, I want to be closer to the Lord. There's something that's, I've done. There's something that blocks my heart from his heart. It's, I'm in a dry season. Would you just allow me before we go home tonight, could I just pray for those of you that might have that issue in your life and, and to be ashamed of, oh, I'm a sinner. Like, I got good news for you. 
every room in this, every person in this room. How many guys, just by a show of hands, how many guys, you know, used to have kind of a sin problem? Let me see your hand. And if you didn't raise your hand in church about a sin problem, guess what you are? Just saying. And you know where liars go? Straight into politics. So be careful. Careful of that. Close your eyes, will you? Come on, let's just... Father, I pray that your spirit would move on us in such a way that we'd feel safe to be honest. Let's say that again. I pray that your spirit would move upon us in such a way that we'd feel safe to be honest. Hiding our sins doesn't forgive them. Confessing our sins. That's, that's, that's where mercy comes in, is once we said, man, I was wrong. 85% of those guys... That, that, that are clean and sober today, they started the journey by saying, I'm out of control. I need help. And, and as they were addicted to drugs and alcohol. We're, we're addicted to our flesh. We're addicted to sin. We're addicted to whatever we're addicted to. We need something greater than ourselves to restore us. And so, God, we pray. We pray tonight everything that stands between our hearts and your heart. You would now sovereignly, powerfully, irreversibly remove it forever from our lives. Forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses. Thanks for daily bread. Thanks for an abundance of mercy to give away. Thanks for being our Father. Thanks for loving us, dying for us, and living for us. Thank you for your spirit and your word, God. Thank you that we're not orphans. Thank you that we're not orphans. Thank you that we're perfectly loved by the perfect one perfectly. We give you our lives tonight again and again and again and again and again. So good to be yours. So good to be free. So good to be home in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.